so good to, to be here with you and to be able to share with you. And uh, it's always nice to be alive. Um, uh, I think the, uh, the obviously the Auburn thing will, will raise many questions in your minds as to what they're doing and what's going on with them. Um, that's something that's probably best for them to answer rather than it is for us and because that's something that they themselves will have to contend with. And they will have to work through a process with their own people, which, as you know, moving is not as easy as just picking up and going. There's always people who have somehow um, gravitated to a facility and, and, and like it and virtually see no, no interest in the moving. Uh, but perpetually, this could be a, a perpetual, sorry, and more actually, this could be a, a perpetual uh, thing in the sense that it could keep the money in the kingdom in a, in a great way and that these people could sell a facility and move into what they want to do very easily. And uh, so if they see the hand of God on this, it would be a, a wonderful thing, I think, for, for everybody that way. Um, Moving on, uh, uh, I was also asked to, to announce about this thing. About the lady. Remember we mentioned this ladies' conference at Elam? When the lady is, um, her name is Nancy Clark. And uh, there's some details here on a brochure. And I th- there are, these brochures uh, were made available to us. And the conference is uh, February 22nd, 23rd, and there is a registration for it. Now this lady, uh, Nancy Clark, is a lady who has been involved in missions for many, many years and speaking is a part of the Elam Bible Institute uh, grouping of people. I know some of you ladies already have expressed interest to me about it, and so this information is available. I'll leave this here at the front. I know my mom has some brochures as well. I'm sure you'd be interested in that. Great. Grab your Bibles, please. John chapter 7, verse 37. I want to go there today. Um, I want to also just make mention of what a great day this is, because it is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, hoorah is right. I tell you, this is where uh, uh, all the cliches come out on a Sunday like this. You never organize a Sunday night on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, it's almost sacrilegious um, uh, to do that. But uh, um, I, have, I put this in my calendar, usually in March every year for the following year, just so that I make sure I'm not away from home. Uh, there was once one particular time I... I don't know if you actually know this. You probably don't realize how, how loyal a fan I am of the NFL. Um, but uh, there was, not that I ease and breathe football, but my wife will tell you if there's four games on, I will try to watch all three. Um, but uh, 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 there was one particular year, my favorite team, who is America's team. And every person who has any kind of sense of football would appreciate this. But the Dallas Cowboys were, again... Again, one for another time in the Super Bowl. Just one of those many times. Those people who are riding the wave of the New England Patriots, I think, boy, you guys are just... You've got to know what loyalty is to stick through something, right? Uh, poor old Bill, he jumped off the bandwagon of the Leafs last year, and everybody's mourning the loss of Bill. <laughs> but anyways, um, I was in India during the Super Bowl, and I remember being there, and I thought... My favorite team is in the Super Bowl, and I'm in India. And people say, well, you're doing things for God. Well, I tell you, that was a tough one. <laughs> that was tough, and I was looking everywhere possible, staying up as late as possible to, to get some idea of what the game was doing, but all I could watch was cricket. 
I know it's great, isn't it? <laughs> and I tell you, Nick, I was never, oh dear, I could have grabbed one of those bats, right? But yeah, so it's Super Bowl Sunday today, so uh, we celebrate for many different reasons, don't we? Christmas, Easter, Super Bowl Sunday. Right, right in there with them all. Uh, I had the privilege yesterday of going to a, a, a leaders conference in, um, in Milton, and uh, I went with my son Joshua, and uh, it was just a, an exciting time. And I want you to know this, that God is truly doing something in this province. There is something really wonderful taking place, and there's a, a sense of, 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 I don't know, just excitement uh, that people has that God has amongst His people, and it was just very encouraging to to be with these people and just see what God was doing. And um, man, alive! It's uh, there's such a, an a, uh, an air of of God doing um, of the unimaginable amongst us. So uh, as we seek and as we're looking, I want you to know that there is a, an affirmation of that in different places of people sensing the same thing. So it was just, it was really encouraging. So I thought I'd let you know that. John chapter 7. Are you there? Um, we're going to probably let our fingers do the walking through the white pages today because I've got several verses I would like you to look at. And uh, I'm going to take some time over the next times that I have an opportunity to speak to you to talk to you about some things that are very dear to my heart. Um, I have probably in my times in, in, in Lima and in Peru, have spent a great time of talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, so much so that, that uh, I've done very little of it here. And realizing that, that there's some, some gaps here amongst us as a people that we're actually, I feel that we're missing. And, uh, and the, the things that I have shared down there have been something that I have learned over the years and, and over a process of time and on a journey that I've been in and uh, I want to just take that opportunity over these next few months to share this, this whole thought with you about uh, the rivers of God and what it is to know the river and to be involved in what God is doing in the river. So if you would look with me in John chapter 7, and it's found in verse 37. It says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who, was be, who would be given to any, everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. If you wouldn't mind, please, also turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And verse 8, please. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10, a river watered the garden and then flowed out of Eden and divided into four branches. 
The first branch called the uh, uh, Pishon, which I believe it is, flowed around the entire land of Havala, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic, resin, and onyx, uh, onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, uh, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Hear the part about the, the river there. Ezekiel, please, if you wouldn't mind. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 46. If you're having trouble trying to find it, don't worry. Just go to your index and look it up. It's okay. No need to be embarrassed. Ezekiel chapter 46. Sorry, actually, Ezekiel 47, my fault, sorry. In my vision, verse 1, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gate and led me around the eastern entrance. And there I could see water like a river flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. If you wouldn't mind now turning with me to Revelations. You all doing good? You probably all just got to Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel chapter 22. So, Revelations chapter 22. Revelations chapter 22. Verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit. With a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. It's a, a river is an amazing thing. Um, I took some time this week. I don't know if you remember, but we had a real frosting take place on uh, Wednesday morning. You remember that? And uh, Cindy goes to work uh, at 7, so about 6.30 in the morning I was out on the river uh, on Wednesday morning and uh, these beautiful, beautiful uh, trees had been frosted, so I thought I would just take some pictures of the river. And the river, as you know, uh, the autonomy ought not to be, as some people call it to be, uh, was, was flowing. And it's very, very full at this time right now, and it's cresting south of the city. And uh, it's, it's, there's flood warnings throughout the, the, those who live south of Lansdowne in that area as far as you know, the river cresting. And the, the, these pictures that I took uh, were phenomenal, like just an, amazing. And what I'm amazed at is how the river and such force is found in that. It just kind of does what it wants to do. It, it, there's, you know, it goes where it wants. And, and there's really there's no way of being able to control the river. Uh, you can probably uh, channel and try to make it work one way, but water finds its way, and when it's moving, it's moving in its own, on its own course. And uh, something that they discovered during the time of the flood here in Peterborough in 2004 is that 
old waterways that were in the city that the city had felt that it had closed and channeled into different directions by using sewers and new viaducts and things like that throughout the city, especially in East City, that water found its old route. And it went its own way. And it went the previous course that it had been set on. And nothing that we had made as human beings could actually force it into a, into a whole different way. I believe if you look at water and you look at rivers, you find that it has an energy that is phenomenal. It have a, has a life of its own. It has a life and it has a determination of, it, of its own. And it will go where it wants to go. And it's interesting how the Bible often talks about the rivers and the river of God being related to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that the rivers themselves are things that contain energy, the things that contain determination, the things that contain incredible force. And it goes where it wants to go. And in fact, as it flows, it flows and it affects everything that's around it. When the Bible begins to talk about the Holy Spirit in this kind of context, it's relating the Holy Spirit in the very similar type of way. And in particular, as we read in the scriptures that we were reading about, we read four different contexts about water itself. And it's interesting that we find in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible stopped talking about a river. And then in Revelation chapter 22, the Bible also now talking about a river. It's interesting the Bible begins with that and the Bible ends with that. And in between we hear about water, we hear about the rivers of God. In Genesis chapter 2, it's talking about how there's a river in the garden and it flows out. Hear this. I'm going to say this word, out. Say out. out. Say out. out. So the river flows out of the garden. It's interesting, the river does not stay inside the garden. The river flows out of the garden. And the river flows out of the garden and it flows out and separates into four other rivers that are literally representing the four corners of the earth. So what is coming out of the garden is a presence of life, is a presence of energy, a presence of determination that flows out of the garden into all the corners of the world. This is really somewhat representative of the Holy Spirit. Out of the garden of life, out of the garden of the, of the world that God is making, out of the garden as God has intended life to be, what comes out of that garden are rivers of life, touching all the corners of the earth. Interesting that Ezekiel, what he sees when he sees the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord not just being a physical temple, although that's what he sees, it represents a, nas- uh, sorry, a nation of people, God's people. Not Israel, not, not the Jewish nation, not an ethnic nation, but a people of faith, a people who have come to God, a people who have come to know Him as Savior, as Lord, and see Him as their King. And as they worship Him, and as they become a part of His household, it's interesting that out of that household flows underneath the doors a river. A river containing waters of life. And in fact, Ezekiel begins to even explain it that he says, I walked in it. He says, I was first of all in my ankles. I went to my knees. And next thing you know, he says, I could not contain myself. I was overcome by the river. And even says in Ezekiel that this river was used for the healing of the nations. It's interesting that that which comes out of the temple, do you hear the word? Out of the temple is the river. It cannot be contained within the temple. It flows right out of the doors. So much full, so full is the water, so full is the refreshing within the house and amongst the people of God that the river flows out 
of every crack, every pore, and it finds itself reaching the nations of this world. Then we go to a place where we find in Revelations, where it comes to a point of where uh, John is seeing how the kingdom is being consummated in all its fullness. In Revelations chapter 1, he sees the new Jerusalem, or the kingdom of God, God's order, God's presence, God's power, coming to earth in a magnificent way, touching the nations of this world, where he says, where the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And what do I see? I see a river. He says, I see a river that's flowing out. Say out. How many of you are getting the idea? I like the word out. It's flowing out. And where is it flowing from? It's flowing from the throne of God. The river is flowing from the throne. It's flowing out of the garden. It's flowing out of the temple. It's flowing out of the throne. And then we come to John where Jesus is beginning to talk about rivers. And he's saying this, If you are thirsty, come and drink, and rivers of living water will flow out. Now what do rivers do? They don't flow inward. Rivers flow out. He was saying that the river of God within the believer is so full of energy, so full of power, that it has no other option than to flow out. It is the natural occurrence It does, cannot be contained within the being of a person. The Holy Spirit cannot be contained within the person themselves where we feel we have a grasp, a hold on it, we have a control of it. It says when the Holy Spirit touches a life, it flows out. That is the measure, hear me, of being full of the Spirit. The measure of being full of the Spirit is not that you go to a Spirit-filled church. The measure of being full of the Spirit does not mean that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit does not also mean that you worship on a Sunday morning with your hands up to your favorite song. Being full of the Holy Spirit is determined by what's coming out. That is the evidence of being full of the Spirit. It's the rivers of life that are coming. If you are full of the Spirit, then there are going to be rivers pouring out of you. And folks, you'll be probably going like this and it'll come out your ears. And you'll be going like this, come out your nose, and it'll come out every pore you have. Because it has such force, such dynamic, such life to it, that it cannot be contained within you. I want you to know very clearly this morning that that is God's intention for the believer. His intention for the believer is not that they have a little bubbly thing happening that no one really can tell other than you. It's not that he has placed something in you called the Holy Spirit that somehow comes only simply at times of comfort. But he has placed within you a Holy Spirit that has no other objective other than to consume you and then therefore go into the world. Because the Holy Spirit is consistently trying to fulfill the purposes of God. 
He's consistently trying to reach the nations for Christ. He's consistently pursuing God's will. And God's will is that you would be filled with the Spirit and that the Spirit flows out. Flows out of you. Now, there are times I like to think that I was full of the Spirit. Only to find out that I was more full of me than I was full of the Spirit. There are other times I've been full of good intentions. There's other times I've been full of really good ethics. Only to find out the Holy Spirit was actually doing something opposite to the ethics that I actually thought were good. Ask Jesus. Jesus thought he's being, you know, uh, a proper person, and only to find out that he was being terribly criticized by the religious people. Why? Because ethically, the religious people would not like him to pick rain on a Sunday or on a Saturday, the Sabbath. But what did he do? He kind of shook things up. Why? Not because he purposely did it, but because the Holy Spirit just kept generating life outside of him. And as he would flow in the things of the Spirit, it often contradicted what people thought was correct. Now, I'm not saying that that's the evidence that you go contrary to what everybody thinks is right. I'm just saying that the Holy Spirit has a mind of his own. And he'll do what he wants to do. It's a river that flows. And sometimes you and I are the only thing standing in his way. And that's why Paul says, be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. For you and I, this river is about life. And it's life in the spirit. It's not just simply life after death. See, I like to think that when I came to know Jesus, I got life. And because I was sentenced to death. But because I've come to know Jesus, I've got life. And so I will live eternally. Hallelujah. That's good doctrine. But when coming to know Jesus, it's not that simply you've come to know Life eternal in the fact that you will never, ever perish. That's one thing. But it says that we will receive life. Now, this life, in the connotation of the Old Testament, when it speaks of life, it's speaking of life as a quality. Never in the hereafter in the Old Testament, speaking of a quality, because they only were thinking, in many regards, as to their presence. Their presence and what they were in. And so when it spoke of life, it was speaking of life, that life would come to them and change their circumstances. For you and I, when we are thinking of the rivers of life, it's not about rivers of life that are ambiguous or rivers of life that somehow in the future but it speaks of rivers of life that are actually tangible. Rivers of life that you and I can lay hold of and it's not in any kind of bias or prejudicial way for certain types of people. It's not meant for nations who are just simply uh, under great duress. It's not for, for, for nations that are far off that, that you only hear stories of. This life is for every believer. That's why Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, 
He says, if anyone is... He was not being prejudicial in this whatsoever. He wasn't saying that I will do mighty things with nations that are under great duress because you need it. I, would, I, will, not, I will withhold my spirit from nations that are actually knowing abundance. No, he doesn't say that. He says, if anyone who's thirsty... He was going to give his spirit in such abundance. And, and <laughs> I probably need to stop here just for a moment. Because we in North America often think in quantities. When you buy a vehicle, it has so many liters of power. You want to know how far it will go on one tank of gas. You want to know uh, what, how many kilometers your limitation are, are, is if you're, if, you're, if you're leasing. We always are thinking in terms of quantity. And we're also thinking in terms, in terms of quantities that are limiting. It's hard for you and I to think of infinity. Because our minds are so geared with the fact that, oh, well, we just got this much. I can only just hang on to this much. Now, when Jesus speaks that rivers of living water would flow out, he was actually declaring that there is going to be an abundance of the Holy Spirit within every believer. An abundance. That's why in John 10.10 he says this, the enemy has come to take life from you. The quantity, the quality, the, 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 the wholeness of life from you. But I have come to give you life in abundance. And the life that he was talking about was the life of the Spirit in abundance. Now, I'm going to have to just kind of pause again for all of us. Here it is. Don't lose me on this. Because we here within North America, we will rationalize this out in our minds and we will never walk in the fullness of the Spirit. What I'm trying to say here is that this Spirit is so abundant, it cannot be contained. And that God is freely giving it. And this is His understanding of what life is. It was meant in the garden. It was, it's meant at the end of the Bible. It's meant in Ezekiel. And Jesus is saying, it's meant for today. Now this does not mean, I'm now going to qualify this again, that in this world you do not have trouble. He says, while you have trouble, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. While you're having things happening, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm not giving you the Holy Spirit as an option so that you don't have trouble. In the midst of trouble, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Because in this world, you will have, be, have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he says, and I'm going to send you someone. And, I, and, and he says, unless I go away, he will not come. This Holy Spirit is coming in such volume. Such volume, folks, that we cannot understand it. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with you here. The chief concern that Jesus has is that the Holy Spirit is not frustrated by his people. Where they become uninterested, unresponsive, 
disengaged and detached from a life-giving spirit. God's eternal thought is that rivers of life flow out of the Christian in abundance. If the outflow, if the outflow of the Holy Spirit is lost with us, we are ineffective. Ineffective in this world. We are stagnant. We are stagnant here. We are dull. And we are absolutely boring. And let me put this last one on there. Monotonous. What happens then is, we, as believers, then, are the walking religious, baptized in the Holy Ghost. We are the spiritual intellectuals, baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are the do-gooders, with the gifts of the Spirit. We are the sentimentalists. We are the traditionalists. We are the legalistic cynics. We are the attendees of meetings. We are the well-intended. We are neither hot nor cold, having a form of godliness, but void of the life of the Spirit. That is, if anything, typical of Christianity throughout North America. Very well intending, very good people, but we can be baptized in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, and do all of that, and at the same time not know the life of the Spirit. That's the crisis that the church is in today. That's the crisis where it's at. And it's a crisis of charismatics, it's the crisis of Pentecostals. For everybody who would think that we, because we have the Spirit, then we've got something special. Folks, we have maybe tradition that's different. We have history that's different. But we don't necessarily have life that's different. We could have theology... We can have teaching, and we can all say that we are different because of what we teach, but we are not different because of the way we live. The life of the Spirit is what makes everything about being a believer different. Jesus was very concerned in that his disciples would leave the upper room and go try to fulfill everything that he wanted to be fulfilled without the Holy Ghost. And he basically said to them, you're dangerous. Because all you will perpetuate is legalism. All you'll perpetuate is more rituals. All you'll perpetuate is more monotonous religion. And he says, that's not what I've come to do. I've come to give life and life to the full. So he says, you go and you take yourself and you lock yourself in the room. And he just didn't want them to have an experience. He wanted them to know that there was a river coming that was going to wash them so full that they would know nothing different. It would wash them out 
just wiped them out so that there was nothing left of themselves. No ambition, no idea of what religion would be, and to the point of where they're just standing there basically naked before God and say, here I am. And the Holy Spirit came in a way that it touched their lives. And this is what it was said when the brothers were walking to the temple and a layman was there. He says, please, please, give me something. And they said, we have absolutely nothing. But man, we've got life. And what came out of them was a river. A river came out of them. And a river of life came and touched them. Do you know, sometimes we are ministering to other people all the time. Uh, and praying for other people, but we're void of our own river. And so we're laying hands as dead people on dead people. And we're saying, oh God, you know, you ever prayed for that person with that one eye open thing? Kind of hoping that something would happen? So you put your hand on them and you go like this. And you're hoping that something will happen. And you feel that because you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you know the scriptures well, that something should happen. But I want you to know this, that life produces life. Amen. Not excitement. Do you hear me? Not excitement. Not rhetoric. But life. Life in the Spirit produces life. Everything that Jesus talked about the river, it talked about a river that touched things that began to grow. Everything around it, it, around, around it began to grow. And it just poured out and poured out and poured out. The tendency for us is to lose the flow. And we flow, we, the river is stopped up within us. It's not that the river does not exist. Because sometimes when we don't have life, we begin to question, is there such a thing as life? <laughs> Anybody been down that road? Is God just fooling us? Is God just somehow saying, yes, there's life, and yet you and I will never find it? Is there something there that, that he's just teasing us with? And so the tendency is that somehow the river gets cut off. And I want to just identify with you some things that, that I believe the river, how it's cut off. I believe that the river is cut off because of neglect. I think we just neglect it. We neglect somehow reaching for it. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, in other words, you've actually got to go to it. There's, there's, there's a, a neglect in our lives that somehow that, 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 that's very nonchalant. We kind of think that, that this Sunday morning should last us through the next Sunday morning. Or this experience that we are having in 1994 should get us through the 19, next 20 years of our lives. We always often think that somehow that, that high will last forever. Well, that's what it is. It's a high. It's not the river. We have to be careful not to be people who are just trying to look for the high, but people who are looking for the river. And we're looking for life. And we want to partake and engage in the life of the Spirit. Now, there are times that we could come here on a Sunday morning. You don't mind if I get a bit personal. I'm not going to name any names. But there's times that we can come here on a Sunday morning and we can try to, to get involved. We know we are to be responsive. You, you, you've heard me both talk about being responsive, haven't you? And you probably could preach every sermon I have on being responsive yourselves because you've heard me talk about it so much. 
And, you've, and you think, okay, I know we're supposed to do this, but you know what? I just don't feel like it. So until someone says, let's respond, we're not going to. You know what I'm saying? You know, unless you pull it out of me. But to be honest with you, that is, yeah, that is somewhat mechanical. But what it should be coming is from the river. And if we can't respond out of the river, then we are simply responding to mechanical things. It's like saying, Cindy, do you love me? Oh, now that you ask, yeah. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, walking at the door this morning. And I was just walking at the door. Uh, Cam uh, Frazier's been staying with us for the last week. And, and uh, I'm just heading out to go into the meeting. And he's as sick as a dog at the house. <laughs> he puts his arm around me. And he looks me at the face. He pulls my body shirt like this. He says, I love you, man. I said, I love you too, Cam. He kissed me on the side of the cheek. I said, thanks, Cam. That wasn't my wife kissing me at the door. It was Cam. Life came out of him. I didn't say, Cam, get over here. Put your hands in the air. Eyes open. Do you love me? Yes. It came out of him. Something that was unprovoked. Didn't provoke him whatsoever. But he just said, I love you, Steve. With Jesus... He's not looking for us to have things mechanically pulled out of us. He's looking for us to speak of the river because the river flows out. Now, if it's difficult for us to respond, I want to tell you something. The river is struggling inside. If it's difficult for us to feel happy about life, the river is struggling inside us. Now, the river, I believe, is often neglected. I think not only is it neglected, but you'll find that hurt itself will stop up the river. And it will cause the river to be neglected, but in itself, you just don't feel like drinking. Have you ever been so sick that you don't feel like eating? You just don't feel like You know it might be good for you to eat, but you don't feel like it. There are times like that. There's times like too when you've been under such stress, you don't feel like eating at all. Right? The river itself is quenched when we in particular have neglected it, when we've been hurt, when we've been disappointed. And all of a sudden, that river just finds itself it's not flowing like it used to. Daily cares. Just things, things, things. You know, when I was single and had no children, I could be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was so easy. I didn't have to think of paying the PUC. I didn't have to think about some also giving the right answers to Cindy, you know, and making sure everything's right. Yeah. What did you do today? Well, was that exactly what you did? <sighs> Getting me back up. It was a lot easier to be filled with the Spirit when I wasn't married and when I didn't have children. 
Didn't own a house and didn't own cars. I was, man, it was simple. This was just me and the Lord. That's all it was. But you've got to live your life. You've got to live your life. Life is not meant to be lived in a bubble, but meant, life is meant to be lived. And, and part of that living is realizing that we live in a world that's decaying. But the Holy Spirit is a part of a world that is decaying. That's why He's here. He's here because he knows it's decaying. And the antidote, the remedy, the remedy of God for a decaying world is a life-giving spirit. And what we do is we let the decay come in and somehow rob us of life. Just exactly what John 10.10 is all about. He says, the enemy's come to rob, kill, and destroy. And what is he doing? He's not beating your brains out. He's emotionally wrecking you. He's in there just going after everything, and you're, oh man, you know, things are just happening. And you think, man, where'd the river go? And you're looking for it. And sometimes it goes on so long with the daily cares and the struggles and the hurts and the disappointments and the neglect, it goes on so long that you're willing to settle for something less. You think that this is normal. It's normal to somehow just to hang on to God. <laughs> My favorite poster. How many of you have heard me say this before? Favorite poster is that little cat with its paws over the toilet. Somebody has flushed it. And a cat in the caption is, hang in there. swirling down below. Life is on the edge. Any moment now, you can get caught up and flushed out. My cat's hanging on like crazy. I won't go into my, my whole idea about cats either, but anyways. <laughs> my answer to a cat? A dog. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Now we get response, see? We all feel that somehow the norm is just to hang on. But if you look at what Jesus says, the, 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 the thing is not just to hang on. The, 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 the point is, is to overcome. And the way that you overcome is through the Spirit. So these things that have come where the Holy Spirit is most necessary... They've actually come and are out to defeat the Spirit. Now, I've got to make you very much aware of this. The things that we find difficult that somehow push the Spirit away, that's exactly what they're intended to do. The struggle that you're in, the warfare in which you are fighting, but Paul says the war you are fighting is not flesh and blood, it's not your problems, it's not your children, it's not your boss. The warfare which you are fighting is death versus life. And that's where he says, put on the armor of God. The warfare which we are involved in is a life versus death matter. And it says somehow, if the devil can somehow throw enough stuff at you to jam up the river, he succeeded. 
And then if he can make you feel that this is normal Christianity, life is one for him. He's got the church exactly giving it a noogie. He's got it right where he wants it. Now for you and I, God's remedy is the Holy Ghost. And I'm just trying to simply point you, this is where the norm is. Now this norm, you cannot manufacture it. You cannot reproduce it. You cannot somehow have an imitation of it because it is just the same as being without the Holy Ghost. Any imitation is pure humanistic excitement that's full of religion and garbage. And we could dance with all our might and be totally soulish. We can have everybody lift their hands and be totally soulish. The most blessed time is when you know the river of God is flowing within the lives of the believers and what is being produced is life. Now, I realize of all the, all the psychology that's out there about happy places and happy people and things like this, I want to tell you the thing that is lasting is the life of the Spirit. And that life is powerful. And you will know it's there because it's coming out. And it speaks things that are powerful, full of life. And it just might be, hey man, I love you. It's all it might be. Now I want to just, in this little thing, tell you what I believe is important for all of us. This sense of losing the flow will cause us to withdraw and protect ourselves. And we won't be spending our energy in giving out. We'll be spending our energy in looking after ourselves. We become the center and our life in God is exchanged for routine and repetition. And we are content to come on a Sunday morning because it's indicative of the week and say, go ahead, do what you got to do. I got to be out by 12. <laughs> the life of the Spirit is so wonderful. And it changes meetings. And it changes our times at home. It changes our workplace and changes your family. It changes your family. The life of the Spirit is how God wants all of us to live. And it is by no means routine. If anything, the life of the Spirit is something that has to be engaged. You cannot just think that by existing with the life of the Spirit come to you, you have to go to it. It's a decision. When we speak of revival, I want to tell you this. I do believe that it is about the river of God. And I do not believe it's simply the river of God coming to a people and surprising the living daylights of them at the meeting. I believe it's the river that's happened beside your bed. 
I believe it's the river that's happened at your table. I believe it's the river that's happened in your living room. The river that's happened in your car. The river that's happened on the ice rink. Because God somehow got a hold of you. The challenge for all of us says, if there's anyone who is thirsty, he has one answer. Drink! One point and only one point. <laughs> Anyone who's thirsty? Um, well, you could uh, drink. The answer to life's issues and life's problems is the Holy Spirit. The answer to living the Spirit is learning to drink. And drink well. And learning what it is, how to drink. And consistently drink. A couple of weeks ago, I didn't realize that I was dehydrated as I was. And all of a sudden, I got a little bit dizzy. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I was sitting there, whoa, things are getting a bit, ooh. Life is kind of going around like this, right? And Cindy, being the, the caring nurse, anybody who's married to a nurse realizes that nurses really care for their husbands. Have you drank any water? Is there any other nurses in here? Oh, there's Anne. Giovanni, be ready. <laughs> Beth, it all comes across. Anybody, anybody who somehow is married to a nurse, it, there's no sympathy whatsoever. <laughs> I've, I've proved that point many times. One time I had fallen outside, slipped on some ice, and there was a ladder buried in the ice, and I fell on the wrongs of the ladder. I was paralyzed from legs down. I could, couldn't move. And I, I'm out in the ice. I thought, how am I going to get back in? And so I'm out with the dog, and, and Koda, she runs past me. And I think, <laughs> She's at the dog. She, she's at the door. And next thing you know, the door opens, and Koda goes in. No one thinks, where's Steve? <laughs> so I, 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 I crawl on my hands and my knees, cross our backyard, over the, over the steps, crawl up the steps to the side of our door. I'm crawling. I cannot move. I'm, I'm serious. And my hand goes up in the door, like this, and I turn the knob, and I fall into the door, into the, into the kitchen. And I crawl into the kitchen, and Cindy's washing dishes. What happened to you? I said, well, I can't move. I said, I've fallen on this ladder at the back. And, well, you better go lay down on the couch. It's over there. She says, you can do it. I crawl across the, living, uh, across the uh, kitchen floor, across the dining room floor, into the living, haul myself up on the couch, and she says, do you have time to vacuum? <laughs> There's absolutely no sympathy whatsoever. There's just one answer. Giovanni, be ready, my friend. I tell you, it's coming your way. It's just it's no mercy whatsoever. They give enough out all week. They don't need to give it to you. If anyone is thirsty, drink. That's all it says. Just drink. When we drink, you and I are sourcing the resource of the age to come. We are bringing heaven 
down to earth. We are taking part of a ruling Christ. We are drinking of a ruling spirit that knows nothing other than abundance, determination, freedom at its very best, overcoming, overwhelming victory. And that is what is available to us. And Jesus says, if there's people who are thirsty, for crying out loud, drink! The question comes down to whether we are thirsty. Whether you're tired of what you're in. Whether you're tired enough of going through the routine. Whether you're tired enough of hearing the same dribble. Whether you're tired enough of feeling like the tail and not the head. And it comes down to the point of where you say, I'm tired of this and i got to do something about it. And then that's when Jesus says, Drink. You know what? The garbage in this world will drive you to drink. If we could be known as the drinking church, I'd be glad. Because it is about drinking. Jesus also says, He that believes. In other words, you've got to believe that Jesus is the source. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Drink them. Learn to drink. And learn to drink well. And then he says this, out of him, out of him drinking, and drinking from the source of a heavenly king, shall flow rivers of living water. It's emphatic. It's positive. It is a promise of God to every one of us who believes that He is the source of life. Learn to drink it. And folks, I believe every bit of tradition of Christianity will fade away because you've learned to know what it is to drink of a spirit that is flowing. My, I guess... My appeal to you is to really just to ask you, do you want freshness? My appeal to you is, uh, do you actually want to live in joy? My appeal is really, do you want to find what it is to have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost? Or are you happy to live in the conditions which you are in? Quite frankly, I hate it. I have been one who has tasted of something better. And... It's not my doctrine who has spoiled me. It's the Holy Ghost who has spoiled me. The Holy Ghost has spoiled me with this great life that he has. I've known what it is to live in the life of the Holy Ghost. But I've also now known what it is to have a whole lot of junk thrown at you and think, okay, this is, this is, this is not good. And also know what it is to have the Holy Spirit quenched. But the only way to find him coming back is to drink. Now, we could all take a vote this morning and say, who wants a drink? We all put our hands up. We're all drinking. We want a drink, right? It's all great. But that drinking is going to take place at home. You're going to be silent drinkers. (laughs) Closet drinkers, yes. Because it's not what happens here in the context 
It's what happens when you're tomorrow morning, you're getting up and you're in this hurry and you're putting your face on and you're running out the door trying to engage work and all of a sudden you realize I have already right now cursed at five guys, given two people the bird (laughs) and I haven't got out of the car yet. Life is not like that. Life is meant to be lived in the Spirit. And I'm only telling you this because I've met Christians who've actually given me a few words because of their frustration in life. The Holy Spirit is God's answer to this world. And I want to remind you, you may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You may speak in tongues. You may do everything that and use different gifts. But Paul says this. He says, though you have the tongues of angels and have not love. Love is simply a product of life. says, you are as tinkling and sounding brass. You've got nothing. I am not in the mood in my next many years of life to be a cheerleader for God's people. I am in the mood, though, to be a part of a people, a community, that's a community of the Spirit who know a life that's found in God. And when you meet them, you've met Jesus. That's what I'm looking for. And that when they speak, they speak a heavenly, a heavenly language. That's a language of the Spirit. And their life is fulfilled, even though they may have many troubles. That their life is satisfied even though they might be struggling through things that are unbearable. But their life is full in Christ. And when they come together, there's an eruption. Because something is pouring out. It's just coming out. Coming out. Paul says, come and drink. This Holy Spirit is given so that words and deeds are no longer humanitarian acts. But they become channels of life. I'm not here to serve because it's good for me to serve. I'm here to be a channel of the Holy Ghost. You and I today, we face a world that's desperate to see Jesus. Not a Jesus without the Spirit, but a Jesus that's of the Spirit. If you are thirsty, you can drink, and these rivers of life will flow in you in a way that will alter your course of living. It will change you in such a way that you know that you are truly a new person. The new life is not simply because it's stated to be new. It's new because the Spirit is new every day. 
Every day, the Spirit is new. Every moment, the Spirit is new. I want to talk about drinking in the weeks to come. Bring your glass. Bring your glass. Because we're going to talk about drinking and how to drink. And I'll talk to you of things I have learned of how to drink. And I'm going to talk to you, I believe, in ways that I think will change your lives. Because I do believe that drinking is a part of life. And the resulting thing is you get happy. This is going to be a time for all of us that we have to remember to drink. When Cindy came to me, and I'm going to close right here. When Cindy came to me and she says, why are you dizzy? Have you drank any water? And I said, no. Well, it's your own fault. <laughs> I'm just quoting her. I'm, not, I'm just quoting her right out. I told you she's full of grace and mercy. She says, it's your own fault. You're dizzy. You're out of sorts. You're confused. You haven't drank. It's your own fault, not God's. You've got to learn to drink. And drink at the right times. Can you stand with me, please? I don't pretend to think in any way that one message like this on a Sunday morning changes people right away. But I believe it's consistently going after it and after it and after it. But this morning, I know you having heard the things that we're talking about here. I trust that it has provoked you. And if it's provoked you in a way that you're throwing tomatoes, just save them for later because it's not of the Holy Spirit. But if it's provoked you to say, I need to find a way to drink, then you're on the right course. If you're designed, just that's not so good for you, supposedly. But I think this morning, what I would like you to know this, I would like you to say, Lord Jesus, I am thirsty, but I'm somehow not realizing how thirsty I should be then the Spirit of God needs to come in, convince you, and show you where you're at. Because in only realizing where you're at now, will you realize how thirsty you really are. If you're in that kind of place this morning, let's just pray together. Just bow your heads and say, Lord, that's me. And I just want to pray this prayer for all of us here this morning. Father God, there are times we get going through this life, and you know this, Lord, that we don't realize the state in which we're in. We have a good way of fooling ourselves. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will somehow, over the next few weeks, grab a hold of us and show us the peril in which we're in. And show us, Lord, how we have settled for a, a life that's so void of abundance of the Spirit. Now, Father, I pray that you would cause us to be thirsty. This sounds awful, Lord, to even ask you to show us what it is to be thirsty. But Lord, I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking God that you would show us thirst. 
So much so, Father, that we run to you. We run to you with our cups in our hands and say, Lord, give us a drink. Give us a drink, Lord. I ask this, Lord, for every person in this room because I know that's where you want them to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.